Coming up on today's episode of the Real Life Podcast. There's no one best program. There's no one best right regime that's going to help everyone. It's like trying to understand yourself and what makes you tick and then trying to find the tools to, to help those things. Yeah. That's kind of what I want to try and do. Like sometimes when you feel down and low, it's the last thing you want to do. Yeah. The last thing is you want to put it out there and vocalize it because yeah. then it's real. I think, feel like we almost like trying to suppress things. Yeah. What did I say to you earlier on that car? That quote. And the psychologist was it by Nietzsche or something. Yeah. Was, um, un- 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 unexpressed emotions come forth in worse ways. People don't people don't relate to the the perfect body and the perfect life and the perfect food. It's like yeah, no, not no one lives that perfect life really. Like, like managing stress and having a tool to use no matter where you are. Yeah. Whether you're in sport, you're in a classroom, you're in uni, you're driving the car, like whatever you're doing, you always have that ability to kind of control your stress response through the breath and I think that's a powerful thing that people need to know. On today's episode of the Real Life Podcast I have on a really good friend of mine who I met during my masters at uni, uh, Kieran Garland. Now Kieran is a performance coach, PT, um, everything in between um, and he is a really, really knowledgeable and insightful person in terms of when you're looking at the whole, not just the scope of um, training and you know it with being within the gym and on pitch but also when you're looking at all sorts of things in terms of his knowledge surrounding different topics to do with bettering yourself. And in this episode, we we have a bit, it, it goes a bit off tangent from the way I wanted it to go. Originally, it was going to be like in-depth asking Kieran about what he does, why he does it and this and that. And it actually ends up turning out to be a really good conversation about all things dealing with mental health and the best ways to, you know, combat any problems that you may have, um, different books that he's been reading and things that have helped him along the way to get to where he is currently. He's just moved out to Melbourne, Australia, and you know he's going to have the greatest time there. He's going to be a massive success. And it's all these things that have helped him to get to where he is now. And we also discuss things such as finding your passion and what you can do to get there. And the fact that your passion doesn't have to be through your work. It can be through just playing football on a Friday night with your mates. And we, you know, we get into all these different things and it's a really good conversation. And, you know, when I get back out to Melbourne, I really want to have him on again and just have another conversation like this because I did really enjoy it. So as usual, you can find all of Kieran's links down in the description below. So go follow him if you're looking for a personal trainer or online coach. Kieran is your guy. So make sure to check out his profile on Instagram and you can obviously speak to him about any online coaching needs that you may have as he is a really knowledgeable and insightful coach. And also remember to like and subscribe and share the podcast because it's something like less than 2% of all of you people who watch this do not. So please like, subscribe and share. Obviously, it's the only way it can grow and it's the only way that I can keep getting on more and more guests who I absolutely love to speak to. So I'd appreciate the help and enjoy this episode with Kieran Garland. Fucking yeah. What's happening, brother? (laughs) <laughs> fucking madness this. right we'll start I always start with everyone so just tell everyone who you are what you did mm-hmm. so the name's Kieran Garland um, gets to be met in the master's course in university studying science and conditioning um, mm-hmm. currently working in a school and I'm building my online business so that's kind of what I really want to be doing this next um, like year and stuff I want to really make that full time and yes we live in Ireland Belfast sunny Belfast <laughs> as you can see I'm here <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm 25 um prime of my life <laughs> honestly mate now nah, to be fair where we are even though it's fucking raining it's a sick little setup for a yeah, podcast it actually is i've never uh never done anything before like so honestly it's fun, it's fun as fuck it's like it's just one of those things isn't it when you're having those sort of long-form conversations it makes you get to understand people a lot better mm-hmm. and also you get to meet people you never fucking would Pretty so good. and like for for me like i've not seen you in Two two years of that, so yeah, quite even more than that. And then, so be, being able to come over, like obviously we've had some fucking decent chats and yeah, last yeah. night and stuff. And then yeah. now, can I get into a bit more? But yeah, so let's start with like why the online training? Why have you wanted to get into that? Yeah, so I, I did start. Um, obviously, our first I don't know about you, but my first coaching experience was in university. We were you know in the internship and stuff. So that yeah. was my first kind of I guess exposure to in person coaching and. Like, I love that. They kind of fell in love with the whole, like, S&C type stuff. And I think just working in gyms and stuff, I feel like I want to try and move to online because it's more of a... I just really want to work for myself, first of all. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Being able to work for yourself and have, like, your own your own business. Like, you know, you're your own boss. Yeah. As hard as it is, it's obviously the hardest thing in the world sometimes, but it's also the best thing. It gives you that freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess I just want to create something that I can kind of, like, call my own and... 
like put my heart and soul in the stuff and that I can actually like make mine and start taking it, putting all the stuff we've learned and the actual like practice. Yeah, it's not, I don't know. I like I like that thing of being able to make something your own. Like mm-hmm. we were saying, the that ability to be your own boss and to I don't know structure your own day and not have to succumb to the nine to five bullshit all yeah, the time. Exactly, hundred <laughs> percent living that nine to five lifestyle. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to do. Like it really is. It does benefits to it. Don't get me wrong, but also to for me, I wouldn't be able to do it for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's not something I wouldn't be able to do and be ha- no, happy retiring based yeah. on the fact that I've been in a nine to five for the rest of my life. Yeah. But yes, it, I don't know. It, I feel like now, especially with the age of social media, we're able to create a completely new level of happiness that most people are completely unaware of and yeah. have never been able to feel themselves. Mm-hmm. Where like we were saying, look at parents and grandparents where they've worked nine to five, 40 odd years, mm-hmm. retire and props to them for doing it. And if they've yeah, retired and they're happy, then mm-hmm. fair enough. But now, especially with this new age of social media, it's very hard to just be happy yeah. doing that. I think they've all, like we were saying earlier, they kind of almost had to do that in those times. You had to provide for a family and stuff. Whereas we're lucky we actually have the ability to have that option to go and do that. You know what I mean? And like you said, I couldn't see myself working in a nine to five job until I'm 65 and then starting to live. Yeah. You know, I, I want to try and create something more and do all the things I want to do alongside working, you know, like have that work-life balance. So mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately in the next year or so. Yeah. It's creating different avenues as well because you don't want to, you don't want to be stuck in one thing because I feel like when you're stuck in one thing and you get good at that one thing, there can then be a point where there's no growth. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, there can be. If you're a personal trainer, you may take a new route and rather than mm-hmm. focusing on, I don't know, general population fat loss, you could move into rehab or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a growth in that. But a lot of people, once they get their niche, yeah. they don't want to move away from that niche yeah, because yeah. that's where they've created the bond with whatever following they've built True. and especially the clients that they've got. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to grow. So I think having like you said, the different avenues where you were saying you want to start a podcast where you can then, and then a book club and then we're talking about like a cold water club and stuff like that. It's having those different avenues where you can allow for growth and meet new people and do new things. True. I've kind of where I think I'm scared of it. I've like niching down too much where you feel like you're almost pigeonholed in the sudden. Yeah. I don't want to be like this one guy, you know, like the fat loss guy or the muscle building guy. Like I want to be like a generalist almost, like know a little bit a lot. Yeah. Like, when, you know, like we were talking last night about the whole like spirituality stuff with the breath work, yoga, like I want to go into that type of stuff and bring mm-hmm. that into like high performance. Yeah. It's not like a lot of people are doing it. You mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. Like, you were saying then as well in the car on the way here that you didn't want to get, you didn't get much into the breath work on your social media because you wanted to sort of keep it a bit, but I'm going to make you yeah. <laughs> So what? Okay, I'm keeping it like close to the heart. <laughs> because I know how powerful it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what, when did you start introducing breath work breath work for yourself and what has it done for you over the past when did I start like I wouldn't even like know when I I first ever like had an awareness of it I think probably my uncle lives in London he's a yoga teacher and Mm. I think from a young age he would have been talking a lot about these things he was always in in that type of stuff and I think maybe from his like first yoga classes where you're talking about the breath and you're like mixing movement with it I think I was probably the first exposure but then like for me actually going and trying to like research it I think like we were saying about my situation it was probably one half He's probably been the one who was like popularized it the most. Yeah. Um, with the cold water and with the meditation and the, and the kind of breath work together, that's kind of his three pillars. Um, so I think from seeing him and then trying it out myself and feeling the, the benefits, he was the first guy when Bob was the first person I kind of like learned off. And I researched his method in my dissertation. Um, so I was learning a bit more about the theory side of it and like the science. Um, and then the book I was telling you about, The Oxygen Advantage, mm-hmm. was the most recent one that's kind of like fueled it for me, I think. I think. Based around nasal breathing, um, the benefits of that heart can be used for high performance, for health, for longevity, you know, all these different like, mm. topics. Um, I think for me, it's just been really a thing of like managing stress and having a tool to use no matter where you are. Yeah. Whether you're in sport, you're in a classroom, you're in uni, you're driving the car, like, whatever you're doing, you always have that ability to kind of control your stress response through the breath. And I think that's a powerful thing that people need to know. Oh, I see hugely powerful thing and it was something that I didn't realise how useful it could be until probably a couple months ago when <laughs> why, you know? uh, yeah I didn't realise until a couple months ago how powerful it could be yeah. and realising that I I do have the ability to control my stress response if I just start to breathe mm-hmm. and start to slow things down and activate that parasympathetic nervous system yeah. and so you see a lot of people and they're stressed constantly. They come home stressed about work, they're stressed about family, they're stressed about this and that. And if you could 
Because half the, half the problem is actually changing someone's mindset on something. And mm-hmm. if you could actually just switch the mindset and make them understand that just breathing for five minutes a day can change your whole outlook on how that day is going to be. Mm-hmm. Or even once the day is over, change how they respond to that day yeah. and how they're going to respond to tomorrow mm-hmm. as well. Big time. I think that you said about people just thinking, oh, I breathe every day. Like, what's the benefits of that? I'm doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how you're doing it, right? It's yeah. the key thing, and we were talking about the whole balance of like mouth breathing, nose breathing, the differences, the effects of those things, and it's a deep rabbit hole. But I think it's worth people getting into because I think it can like change my life, set me on a path. So mm-hmm. I think I want to try and like spread that the good word, yeah, the good word of the breath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what are the, what are the benefits for people who don't know? Like if we could try and pitch to them why they should start nasal breathing, what are some yeah. of the benefits of that? So I think the the biggest one I would say is the impact of your nervous system. Like you said, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. So it's essentially the, the balance of your fight or flight, your activation, your survival mode mm-hmm. versus your parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest, the more chilled out one that's for recovery and recuperation. You can activate that based on what way you breathe. So most breathing is associated with the sympathetic, the activation is kind of fast upper chest breathing. And nose breathing is associated with the more rest and digest. It's slow, it's from the belly. It's kind of like a, a slower type breath. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I would say. You, you can alter your nervous system anytime you want based on how you're breathing. Um, that's one thing I would say as well. Like the whole idea of like, um, like just general fitness and like oxygen availability and things like that. The nose adds a bit of resistance to the breath. So um, it's essentially training your your lungs and your cardiovascular system without yeah. doing anything just by altering what way you're breathing. You know, So fitness is obviously a big thing stress um for sports performance it's a big one there's different like techniques in the book he goes into around like different breath holding techniques and like i was saying you can test your breath holds and that's a way of like measuring progress and stuff like that um so there's a lot of different like kind of avenues that go down i guess mm-hmm. it's kind of like what suits you and what you want to kind of use it for I suppose. Yeah. have you watched the free diving documentary that came out on netflix i think uh, i watched a bit of it oh that that it's a heavy documentary but yeah. the emphasis they obviously put on breath work because for them they need to before they do a dive they need their heart rate to be as low as possible because they need to be using as little oxygen for the muscles as they possibly can so and you see the way in which they dive is in a way where the body flows so they they're not constantly kicking it's one big kick that will sort of project through the whole body and that's a constant thing and the there was two women at one point where they compete for the world record and the world record at the time i think was 101 meters down so okay. 202 meter dive total without on, on a single breath on a single breath yeah and one of them did the 102 then the next one did 103 and then the next did 104 all in the same day so three times they've both gone down and each time they have to get the heart rate as low as possible so yeah. you're talking like below 60 beats a minute before they can even ascend, descend. And what are you talking there for time? How long are they under there for? Like seven, six, seven minutes? No, it's about, I think it's about two and a half minutes okay. or something like that. Marvelous. But it's it's very different though, isn't it? From if I was to train to hold my breath underwater and just float, mm-hmm. it's very different to yeah. actually working yeah. underwater. Yeah. Because the spoiler for it but the at the end it, the, the whole story really is about this one particular i think she's italian this italian woman and an irish lad okay um and he became her safety diver so i free divers always have a safety team with mm-hmm. them he'll go down to about 40 meters we'll watch out for them and stuff and the goal for her was there was there's a cave where i think you dived 50 meters down swam through the cave 50 meters back up so what the plan was was she followed the line to the cave went through the cave, came up, safety team would be there to direct her back up to yeah, surface. Yeah. So she goes through the cave. He is struggling to get his heart rate down, so he waits an extra 30 seconds to go under because he doesn't want to panic. So she comes out of the cave early, so he's not there to direct her. So she ends up going off in a, in a wrong direction. She ends up going right rather than going up. And he, as he's going down, he sees it. He panics, goes down. But because he can't dive in the way he usually would, he's using more oxygen yeah, yeah. that he's obviously saved up. And as he gets over to her, they're both running out of breath because she's not gone the right direction. So she's then sort of panicking. And as they come up, he essentially, in his his last moment, managed to push her up. They both ended up having a seizure, but he pushed her up so her head was out of the water. But because of that, he was underneath her and 
couldn't breathe. So he ended up dying as a result of it. And that was because of the panic that ensued as a result yeah, yeah, yeah. of him not going down fast enough, her not going the right direction yeah, and stuff like that. And he's not dying. Yeah. And that's what that's literally what panic can do to us. And that and it's a crazy sport because it is essentially life or death yeah, all the time. 100%. Mm. I never I actually didn't know that. I didn't know he died in that, in that documentary. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, it's a really it's it's really heavy documentary. I've heard about the, the divers and how like they would have to train their breath to be able to do that. Mm. And there's actually studies being done on those types of divers and like the changes in certain parts of their physiology and how they've adapted to be yeah. able to do that. It's it, pretty crazy. It's a sport that I'm absolutely... Fa- I'd love to try it. Yeah. I would absolutely love to try it because I'm fascinated by how they can manage to stay so calm under the water. Mm-hmm. Because you, you've obviously tried to hold your breath, like swim yeah. a lap under, under yeah. the pool. You get about 30 seconds, you're like... Oh, you, get to that, you get to the end and you, you start fully panicking. Yeah. So imagine you're still, you've still got 40, 50 metres to go. Yeah. And you start panicking. And mm-hmm. in the documentary as well, they show where some divers, they get about 20 meters from the surface and they just black out. So then the safety divers, are, they have to come down, bring them back to surface, resuscitate them at the surface. And it, it's honestly like, these people don't know that they're going to survive. Yeah, yeah. And they're just doing it for the love of the sport. It's fucking crazy. Oh, a dangerous sport. Oh, oh man, I actually. I actually would love things like that. Like I would be big in the... Like adrenaline type sports. Yeah. So like we're talking about like cliff, cliff jumping and like waterfalls and stuff like that. Mm. I love a bit of uh, like adrenaline. Oh, I do. I, lo- I love that overcoming that fear. The initial yeah. fear you have of something, yeah. like standing on the edge of a cliff and even though you, if you've gone down and checked the depth, you know it's deep enough and all that yeah. sort of stuff. It's, it's just that fear of mm. what if I slip, what if this happens, mm. what if that happens and just overcoming that and you're doing it, that feeling that, that you get afterwards. That's is, actually a good, uh, like, allegory for life isn't it mm. like the fear if you, you feel before you do certain things even doing this yeah i was shitting them why the i, I think know. i think you're great at talking about like, <laughs> stuff so it's fine i think longer forms probably different though i'm used to doing reels you were talking maybe in like 10 second verse or something but yeah but it, this is what i'm saying to you i want to be able to start doing this more often like first for the clients for like maybe private podcasts and then mm. eventually do like a, a public one yeah where we're getting into the whole like high performance yeah. realm athletes fans like that's the type of stuff i'm yeah. to get into so if, for the clients, what would you, what sort of avenue would you go down with them? Would it be more an educational route where you talk about a specific training style and why you should do a specific thing? I think I'll go more with like the process of the program. So we do like a three month minimum equipment. So you're coming on for at least 12 weeks. So I'd love to have like, say, a podcast per week. Yeah. Bring them through the process. So say like week one, you're setting the standards of what's happening, the expectations, you know, how it's going to run. And as you go through the program each week, you're learning on, you know, like training, nutrition. Mindset probably would be week two to be honest. Like we were saying, mindset is the foundation of changing habits of training and nutrition. Yeah. If you haven't got the, the right mindset, then trying to change all these different things is probably going to be yeah. not as successful. You know, so I would probably go more like the process of the program that I would want things I want them to know to be successful, and then get into the whole like you know talking about calories and fat loss and muscle gain and a bit of science around you know what's more optimal for like muscle growth or fat loss and mm. those type of things. But like I was saying to you yesterday, I got. I don't want to be just that though. Like yeah. I want to be a bit, have a bit, bit more depth. I feel like the PT, it actually didn't even want to call myself a PT for years. I don't know why. I just felt a bit like this is about the whole industry, you know? Like I think it's because the of the label that it gets from the shit PTs. Yeah, that's exactly that, it. That's all it is. is yeah. When you say PT, a lot of the time you do think of those who, they just sort of throw the clients in the gym and they go, oh, I do four sets of 10 on this and four yeah. sets of 10 on that with no actual reasoning or purpose behind it. Yeah. When there are quality PTs out there who can do a fucking good job of yeah. it. And that, that I think it's just getting over that boundary mm-hmm. of what a PT can be. Yeah. And like it, the impact you actually can't have, you know, yeah. that's something that I'm trying to really put the forefront for me is like, it's not about me. It's not about what I know and what I, you know, what I can do. It's about what I can do for other people. Yeah. What I can get out of them in a sense, you know, and you can't change someone's life. Like I, like working in the school now, I'm, I would love to try and really like start doing talks or even like the seminar or something like that around training and nutrition to teach kids at a young age. Because mm. that was never a thing. Like in school, it was more so people who were just training themselves, whether it was teachers or other people, you were learning off them. Yeah. But imagine being able to go into schools and give people like good standards or good principles to kind of have a training and nutrition routine. To be honest, I think that's a massive gap. Because yeah. do you not remember in school when you started going to the gym and all it was was bodybuilding? Yeah, no, one exactly. knew, no one knew anything yeah, other yeah. than that. And still, there are like, because kids do, a lot of kids do want to be professional athletes. So yeah. I think if we can, if there's someone who can go into a school and start teaching kids 
about how important nutrition is for sport, how important sleep is for sport, mm-hmm. how important the gym work is for sport, and not necessarily just lifting your four sets of eight to 12 yeah, reps yeah, yeah. to build muscle. Exactly. And teaching them that you can jump, you can run, you can, and all these things, and it will benefit your performance. I think that that is a huge gap yeah. that we need. And I feel like, if, I don't know about you, but I wasn't, I've been playing sport my whole life. You know, I'm like football, I was going to say soccer. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> like football, <laughs> football, Gaelic football, uh, like basketball, hurling, you know, like different sports, but you were training like a bodybuilder that whole time. It wasn't until university, maybe what, 18 I went to uni, that mm. actually you first heard around like movement patterns or, you know, like different qualities of training. Yeah. Just a bit mad. You were training that whole time, just training like a bodybuilder. Yeah. I I started going to the gym when I was about 15. And yeah. by 17, I'd lost so much pace just because I got massive. Yeah. I put on probably 15 kilos. Yeah. And I remember, because I play centre back at, in 14, yeah. I just couldn't keep up. Mm-hmm. And also I was getting injured because all I was doing was lifting heavy and slow. Mm-hmm. I was not doing anything that was fast and could replicate the sport. Yeah. And that's a massive issue as well is where... People go to the gym and they think, oh, I'll just do squats, I'll do lunges, I'll do this, I'll do that. But there's no, no real intention behind it other than I'll build my legs. Mm-hmm. It's more, it, people need to understand that if you're in a sprint-based sport, you need to be able to move fast. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to jump, do these explosive things mm-hmm. to be able to tolerate the load that you're going to endure in that sport. Big time. Whereas I feel like the whole bodybuilding style of training is that like, I don't perform a course, I know it's probably like more jargony type stuff, but it's like that idea of sarcoplasmic hypertrophy over myofibular, mm. which in normal, normal language just means you're sweating on the muscle versus actually building muscle. Yeah. You know, like, so you would rather be, if you're an athlete, you would rather be hitting that type of, like, what's really about the, what be the word, like the way you're training is mm. going to impact like how you're going to perform. Yeah. So hitting all those different qualities of like strength, power, speed, conditioning, change of direction is one thing. Obviously, you get it through your sport, but it's one thing that I'm trying to make a big impact or like emphasis on. I feel like I'm at that point now where you're almost strong enough, like hard strong is strong enough before it starts taking away from yeah. performance. So I feel like I'm starting to feel that a bit, you know, or like mm. I feel like I'm strong enough now in the main movements. I can now really start pushing like the speed training. I haven't really went in fully into that. And I think that's probably the big, it is the biggest area. Yeah. You think of it, it's, I think as well, it's important to point out that it's, you, Unless you're a beginner, you can't really build all the qualities at once. So you kind of, if you're not strong, you need to focus on strength for a bit. And then once you've built the strength to some ability, you can then focus on actually, no, I need to be, I need to be faster. I need to be able to change direction. I need to be able to jump higher, whatever it may be. And just focus on something for a little period, like, I don't know, 12 weeks. Focus on that one thing and, but also provide the stimulus of the strength work because if you don't, you will lose it. Yeah. And, that's the big thing where I think, especially people who aren't PTs or haven't done like rehab, like an undergrad or a master's in strength and conditioning, you get overwhelmed with what is available to you in terms of knowledge and information. Sure. Because it, when it gets thrown at you, you kind of like, well, fuck, what do I actually yeah. focus yeah. on at this moment? Big time. It's like almost like too much information. Mm. And I feel like I even myself, like trying to be a coach and trying to build out your own systems and your own templates and stuff. It's like, what is right? You know, oh, you, yeah. you see now there's this sort of thing on social media where it's like, there's the wrong exercise, it's the wrong way of training, you have to train optimally, it's all this thing, and it's just as more confusing, I think. I, this is the thing though, I don't think there's a wrong way to train. I've always hated that, yeah. that saying that there's a wrong way to train because I don't think there is. Because if you train, I don't know, if you're a footballer and you're looking to build muscle, but there, there is a purpose to that. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a purpose to maybe having a, bodybuilding specific side to it but also it's understanding that it's not the wrong way to train it might just not be the best for your goals if like if you want to look good go bodybuilding like literally you don't really need to do much else other than bodybuilding if you want the best bang for your buck go and lift heavyweight slow and you'll look good yeah yeah. uh, but also like we we've sort of had a similar thing where we both started bodybuilding and then we were like I'm actually at a point where I'm strong enough mm-hmm. and I'm slow as shit now. Mm-hmm. And then it was about building the speed and then you get that. And for me, like I took about probably two years ago, took up Olympic weightlifting for a bit. That was a lesson and a half. Yeah. Just, just understanding that it's that, it's that stripping everything back and starting again. Mm-hmm. Because I could go in the gym and squat 120 kilo over one or two, yeah. but I couldn't snatch more than 40. Yeah, yeah. And that is... 
like that's a lesson it's in, in and of itself. Oh yeah, I think you have to be humbled more in your training because if you keep doing the same thing, you'll always get what you had, or you know, yeah, you have to keep changing and evolving. I think and trying new things because I think when you just do the same thing, it just gets boring, doesn't it? It just gets yeah. too. Yeah, so, for sure. Like, mm, there's a, I think there's a big shift as well in gym culture now. So the gym I used to work at, UTS, they were great for it. We had on a Monday, Wednesday, and a Friday, we'd have what was called the Elite Development Squad in, mm-hmm. and it was kids aged from I think ten to sixteen who would come in in the morning before school, and we would have specific programs depending on their sport. So there is a, there's like we were saying about getting into schools and talking. There is a little bit of education that is going on where kids are understanding that it's not about just lifting weights; it's yeah. about you know doing all these other things to do with power and speed. Mm-hmm. But there still needs to be a lot, a much larger shift in the yep. culture where kids can go into gyms and they have the knowledge to be able to set themselves up to go forward and better themselves in whatever sport they're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you said something earlier that was really good about like the bodybuilding should be like a part of it or a you know small part of it, but it's not the whole thing. And the one thing I've been thinking about recently is how I really want to structure my assassins. So like you just have a mix of being strong on every rap range, mm-hmm. like you're saying. Should be strong in the three to six rep range, the six to eight, and the twelve to fifteen. Both mm. get you different results or different kind of qualities, but you should be doing them all. Yeah, and you should be having a, like a kind of like a flavor of everything mm. of all the different stimuluses, you know. Um, but yeah, but the school thing, like I think it should be more of like a like a governmental thing. You know, I think like I I remember writing something down in uni um, on my way home from on the boat, and it was about meditation and how it should be in the school system. Mm. Like how different would everyone be if you were learning meditation techniques in the school at a young age, and yeah. that was a dumb, the dumb thing. It wasn't like some woo woo weird thing. That's you know the thing. I mean? It's you know, I I think now still it feels like a bit of a it does alright. Yeah, because people aren't really that open to it. They kind of think it's like a bit like weird or something. Yeah, I do think that's a lot to do with British culture. Though, yeah, I do think that's a massive problem with British culture is because that we're so used to what we have had in the past that anything new, everyone's a bit what the fuck what are you doing <laughs> and it's it for me it was probably when i first heard about meditation and read about it i didn't do anything about it for probably two years mm-hmm. because of that i didn't want anyone to know that i would do yeah. it and because it's that fear of judgment isn't it yeah. and, but it's such a it's such a powerful thing to be able to do and mm-hmm. being able to learning how to actually focus on your breath and not think about anything else that's going on mm-hmm. it's so it breeds into everything else because if you can do that, then you can focus on work for a little bit longer than you may usually be able to and being able to put your phone away and yeah. stuff like that. Or you can focus on someone in front of you or your family or something you actually need to attend to mm. instead of being distracted all the time or pulled away by your phone. Like how many times do you, I, I catch myself quite often and for, I don't even know why, but I'll have had a conversation with someone and there'll be a moment of silence and all of a sudden I'm on my phone. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an uncomfortable, uncomfortable with the silence, even yes. though the silence isn't an issue. Yeah, yeah. like you just show like attachment to it, or like your thought of it. Mm. Thinking it's awkward. Yeah. yeah, and you have to fill it with something. Whereas yeah. it's probably the better thing just to leave it. Like I actually read it was on a podcast, and they were talking about the idea that brain wandering or mind wandering is good. Mm. So the, the, the idea that you shouldn't always be stimulated, always on your phone, always having something to attend to. So what I was saying was that if you allow your mind to wander, if you're out for a walk, like I was saying, somewhere like this, you're just taking in what's around you, you're being present, you're allowing your mind to wander and it's almost like it's filtered through all the things that you've like learned or read. And and I, I, I always find that when I'm doing that, something comes up. Yeah. Something I need to do or something I've been thinking about will just call, it come up as opposed to actively trying to focus on it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like you get most of your ideas when you allow your mind to wander. Yeah. And I've started now going for walks and leaving my phone at home because I know if I've got my phone with me, if I'm even even just listening to music or listening to a podcast, it may be something that I'm learning about, but I can't fully focus on it because I'm walking, and I need to I need to sort of be still and be able to write something down that I'm getting from it. Yeah. And if I have my phone as well, I know I'm going to be going on my phone, so I'm not going to be listening to whatever it is. Yeah. So if I just leave my phone at home, then I kind of am just with my thoughts, and I've got to be. I've, got to think about them and i've got yeah. to start to process whatever it may be and that may be an idea or it may be a thought of, oh why did i do this or should i change this or mm-hmm. maybe i go and do this tomorrow yeah. or something like that and yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's a massive power in just putting your phone down yeah. just being able to be for a bit for sure like i would think we were sh- i'm showing you that app bubble where 
basically reduces your screen time, mm. makes you fight with the apps to get access to your, your <laughs> you apps. You last night, I had yeah. minutes on You have to apply for five to 15 minutes of free time, which is a good thing because it shouldn't be just all the time you have access to, you know mm. what I mean? Like we were saying yesterday, your screen time can be of seven, eight, nine to ten, nine, ten hours is just working like, day. yeah, it's crazy. And it's like, maybe it's different if you're doing things social media and you're replying to people and whatever, but like, even that, that's just not, it shouldn't be the dumb thing. Yeah. You know it, my my thing for a bit, I deleted all of social media off my phone and I just had it on my iPad. So I could, when I, the podcast was still rolling out, I was just uploading everything on my iPad because it meant that, because I didn't have my iPad in the day, so I couldn't go on anything and work. Mm-hmm. And that was my biggest issue was my productivity and work had gone down because I would be reading something and I'd get bored reading it and I'd just go straight to my phone. Yeah. I'd go straight to social media, watch watch the video on football and then it'd be 20 minutes later and I've done nothing. Yeah. And I could have just read that entire paper and understood it and processed it. Yeah. But And I, so I needed to do it, do it again because I found myself now, not rather than just sitting or just picking up a book, I instantly to social media mm. and it's such a fucking issue. It is. It's it really, really is. I honestly feel like, there's actually a book I've read recently a guy called Johan Hari, ever hear of him? No. He's written a book called Lost Connections, which was about depression, but another one he read was a, was called Stolen Focus. Mm. Stolen Focus, and it's all about research on phones and how essentially we're, we're up against it by thousands of the smartest engineers who are fighting to keep our attention on our phones. Mm. So it isn't just a, like a by chance thing that we're all addicted. Yeah. Their, act- their job is to actively try and increase attention on screens because that's how they get paid. Yeah. The more more eyes on screens equals more money from advertisers. So like it's a big fight. Like we actually have a yeah. it's hard to like kind of get through that. Like how do you actually like manage that? You know what I mean? It's a- it was like I the interview I told you about with the the DEA agent Brian yeah, Townsend. Yeah, yeah. I, we were talking about the use of phones because we were talking about how depression and suicide is on the rise within kids and. It's come at a time where we're we're all so connected, yet we're really disconnected in terms of I can reach you by message from Australia and you can get that in a second and reply within a second. But most kids now, you'll see them walking down the streets with AirPods in and they've got four mates next to them. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is so important that you're listening yeah. to that isn't as important as your mates that are there, yeah. right there? And, and then they get home and they're like, oh. I've got no one to talk to. I've got none of this. But then they're on Instagram, scrolling, scrolling, yeah. scrolling, and it's that thing. You become so disconnected from what reality is mm-hmm. that you've become so connected within what's going on in your phone. Yeah. That then that's where a lot of the issues stem from. Yeah. It's almost like a split personality. I find like you're a different person online. You're trying to portray this perfect life, or mm. you know, your most flashy self. Yeah. When reality, like your podcast is called Real Lives. Like no yeah. one show very rarely anyone will show their real lives. And what I found is people who do that are the more vulnerable. They tend to do better because people relate to that. Yeah. People well, don't. People don't relate to the the perfect body and the perfect life and the perfect food. It's like yeah. No, not, no one lives that perfect life really. Like. Well, that's when, when I put that post out a couple of months ago, the one where I just sort of said that like everything had been shit and it's all right for things to be shit as long as you get out the other side of it was because it was a lot of people just thought I was living this amazing life because I'd moved to Melbourne and Mm -hmm. I, you know, had got the job that I wanted and I was living in a nice place. And it was almost a lot of people took it the wrong way where they thought it was like a massive cry for help when it wasn't. It was just a thing of, Sometimes things look fucking great and they're really not. And that's all right. Sometimes that is okay as long as you come out the other side of it. Like I said the other day to, I went out with a couple of friends who I haven't seen in over a year and I said, I'm probably the the happiest now that I have been in months. And it's an amazing feeling when you, when you understand that like you can come out the other side of it because it was probably the, the, the deepest, darkest moment. Like, everything that happened all at once, like, and then having knee surgery where I was then stuck on a couch for Mm -hmm. two weeks on my own in the flat was rough. And because you can't do anything, you then, your mind wanders and you constantly are going over stuff and Mm -hmm. things get worse and worse. But it was that thing of, this is just fucking real life. I was having a shit time and now I've come out the other side of it and I feel fucking great. Like, you know, I've come over here to see you. We've We've had a few drinks, had some really good chats and all that. I've been, went to Amsterdam, two weeks ago I had a fucking great time doing yeah. that seeing all these friends who have not seen in ages and I can actually appreciate the time with them because I don't see them all the time yeah. and it's just it's yeah I don't know people get 
lost a bit in terms of seeing all these perfect lives when actually a lot of these people are suffering with something. Mm -hmm. It may not even be massive, but they still are suffering with something. They just don't want to bring it to the surface. Fair play there for making that post. I think we need more of that. Like, it's hard. Like, I haven't bothered to make posts like that for a long time, and it's just, it's hard to be that vulnerable because then, for me, it's like you're, you're going, you know, people are going to see it, and then how are they going to think of you? You know, you're, it's, it really is that view of just how people are going to perceive you. And that's probably the biggest prison that everyone lives in, isn't it? The thing is with that was I sat on it for, I remember writing it and I sat on it for probably about four or five hours before I actually posted it. And I was thinking about what people would think of me. And I thought if people think of me as a worse person for this, they're not people I should have around. And to be honest, nothing but love from people from it. And it was just the only, the only thing was a few people took it in the wrong way as like, I'm screaming for that help when it wasn't. And but people were then reaching out. And it's, it's, it's simple things like sometimes you get lost where you don't talk to friends as often as you did. Mm-hmm. And you don't just ask the question like, are you OK? Yeah, yeah. You don't call them up anymore. Yeah. You'll maybe comment on a post or something like that. And but that connection gets lost slightly. And then if you with that, a lot of my mates who I wasn't talking to as much started talking to again. Mm-hmm. And it brought things like that up, yeah. where it's actively changed the circumstances and things now are a lot, a lot nicer in terms of you get just speak to more people yeah. and you have a better time with it. Like that quote, problem sure is a problem half is so true. Oh, massively. Um, but sometimes when you feel down and low, it's the last thing you want to do. Yeah. The last thing is you want to put it out there and vocalize it because yeah. then it's real. I think feel like we almost like try and suppress things. Yeah. What did I say to you earlier on that car? That quote from the psychologist, uh, was it by Nietzsche or something? Yeah. Was, um, un- oh, un- un- unexpressed emotions come forth in worse ways. Yeah. Type of thing. So you're recording these things in, it'll like come up in a different way yeah. or a worse way along the, along the lines. So it's better just to get it out there and actually try and deal with it. Massively. You know I, mean? I can't even tell you how much like going to see a therapist, even though it's got that stigma of the me- mental health mm-hmm. issues and all that, going to see a therapist who can lay out your your problems that you're expressing from an outside perspective and make you understand why they are your problems mm-hmm. is massive because yeah. if you sit there on your own and you're trying to understand it you'll never understand it mm-hmm. but if someone can, someone who's a professional who's dealt with probably thousands of cases the exact same mm-hmm. and go well you think like that because of this you oh shit it's that shattered glass moment yeah. where you think i never understood that and now it makes complete sense mm-hmm. and i don't know it's it's still got a stigma, even though everyone talks about it. It's still got that stigma of I don't want to talk about the fact that I've been to therapy. But yeah, yeah. I've been going for what four months now, I think really? five months, mate. Honestly, if any, if you can afford to do it, like I'm lucky enough, I get it through the uni. Yeah. If you can afford to do it, do it. Yeah. Actually, I've do. been before. Have I went um, a place called West Wellbeing, which is just up the road from me in West Belfast, and. Then, because like West Belfast is a bad place for like suicides, mental health risks, depression, you know, drug addiction, like things yeah. like that. So I went to that. It was free service actually, and it was at a rough time. I was just balance, trying to balance too much things, and I just wasn't happy. I wasn't like fulfilled in what I was doing. I felt like I was just plodding along. Um, and I, 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 it was one of the best things I've ever done. Like mm. I only went maybe six sessions, but and then something happened. I had to change or something. But like it was one of the most productive and like beneficial things I've ever done actually just vocalizing your problems things you, maybe you've never told anyone or something that's been happening from childhood or something you know these things you keep inside you yeah vocalizing it getting it out there and getting like as you say like advice from an expert it was like unbelievable experience even the things from childhood that you don't even have a clue really contributed to the problem yeah. they can see it and they can mm-hmm. tell you that that's what yeah, seems yeah. to have contributed to the problem or they can see through your bullshit which is another one yeah. I was way for that <laughs> you know like talking about something else and she was kind of going like I don't know if that's the problem like I don't think I think you, you know it's not the problem you know that, yeah. that way um, but that other quote came up in my head there as well the one we were talking about the psychologist like that until you make the unconscious conscious it'll rule your life and you'll call it fate yeah. so therapy is making the unconscious conscious it's bringing up all that shit yeah the darkness you know that way oh massively because it you then, when you get into certain circumstances where it's something triggers, mm-hmm. you can understand it and you can, it's like I said, you, you allow yourself to be able to process that feeling, understand why it's happening and do something to allow yourself to move on from it and not make it a day ruiner or, you know, contribute to depression or anxiety. As much as sometimes you can't prevent that, having that ability to 
understand where it's come from mm -hmm. and what you can do to process it mm -hmm. is a huge skill to have that a lot of people don't have because they've never accessed the therapy to be able to yep. begin to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. And for, for myself, just I catch myself in certain situations where I'm like, if it was a year ago, I would have done nothing about it. Whereas now I'll stop myself and I understand that this isn't me. This is just my thoughts. Again, it, like we said yesterday, it's that separating your thoughts from you because your thoughts aren't you. Mm -hmm. Your thought, you make you, yourself think that they are you, yeah, yeah. but they're not. It's just your brain wandering. Your brain thinks the way your heart beats. Yeah. Like it's one of those. Literally. And just being able to put that aside and realize that that isn't you. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, yeah, you feel shit, but you can do something about it. Yeah. It's massive because you can then spend 10 minutes, whether that be go for a walk, go for a run, go to the gym, maybe just sit and breathe or mm -hmm. take five minutes to yourself on yeah. your phone. If you can do that and come back a better person, mm -hmm. imagine how you're going to be in two, three years time when yeah. you've been doing that every single time that it happens. That's a massive point. I think that not a lot of people understand that, that you aren't your thoughts. Yeah. If you have fucked up thoughts, you're thinking negatively about situations. It isn't actually you. Mm. And that's why meditation is so important because you're detaching from those thoughts. You're like, observing them. Like you would watch clouds go by, you can see these thoughts for what they are. And the minute you detach from it, and that wee voice in your head looks at it and says, oh, what was that thought? You realize that who's talking? It's yeah. you that's talking about the thought. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a weird like kind of like concept that gets into your head. But like once you understand that, you actually, you don't take every thought as a like, Bible. Yeah. And that's an like, important skill to learn, I think. It's a scary thing, though, when you are processing your thoughts and you do think that what you're thinking is you. Yeah. And you associate yourself with every thought that you have. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, like you probably have the same as me because, like I think, I swear I've got ADHD. Where you'll have a <laughs> you'll have a moment where you see something, you're like, "Oh my god, I'm going to do that," yeah. and then five minutes later, you, you think, "Why? Why would I want to do that?" Yeah. And but if you associate yourself with every single thought, bad or good, you probably get yourself in some pretty shit situations. Yeah, I, I have in the past got myself in some shit situations <laughs> doing that, yeah, yeah. but now I know that I can. I'm allowed to have thoughts based on whatever circumstance, but know that that isn't going to be forever mm -hmm. and it's just going to be for now yeah. kind of thing. Or maybe because in depressive states, they can last weeks, months, mm -hmm. knowing that at some point something's going to change. Yeah. And because my mum came out to see me the week before I came back and at the time I was on crutches, so I was in pain both physically and mentally. Yeah. But about, I think it was about a week ago, she said, look, you, I've not seen you this good in a while. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? I, f I feel amazing. Like, I feel like I could do anything right yeah. now. And it's, that was just being able to spend time alone and begin to process things that are going mm -hmm. on. And yeah, just getting there takes fucking time. See and what you said there about the, like, the ADHD thing? I definitely feel like I have it, like you were saying last night. <laughs> but do you not find that when you're in that ADHD mode or whatever, you're your happiest? Yeah. Most expressive, most like, you know, not current about how you're being perceived. Yeah. That's like, that's happiness to me. Oh. But then you're in certain situations or certain people and maybe you're going to be laugh or a thing and it's kind of like, you're, you know, you then just go back into your shell. Yeah. Fuck that, like, do you know what I mean? It's, my, my <laughs> thing is being able to hear the laugh, hear the comment and yeah. just get on with it. Yeah. I can't do that yet. And yeah. I, I, it's something I'm absolutely striving to be able to get to. Fucking hell, it's hard to it get is. there. 100%. Like, it's, mm. it's probably the hardest thing you could ever do is actually trying to be yourself. And you, you mentioned depression there. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about though is that that book, The Lost Connection, will maybe go on to the game. But did you ever hear Jim Carrey talking about depression where he says that it's deep rest? Mm. You need deep rest from the character that you're playing. Yeah. That is so facts. And I've actually felt that a lot recently. Like, I feel like, like all these topics that I want to get into, like, I'm, I'm playing a character of a certain person. Where the way I should be in the society or the sport or whatever, it's like, well, there's more in me. I know that. And then I think that's where like the depressive feelings come in, where it's like, I know I could be given more or being more myself and you're not. You're like shying away or holding it in. Yeah. That's, you know, it's like, it's not a nice feeling. Like, that's the, I think that's where the majority of it comes from is you know, you have potential to do something, but you don't know where to put the energy to get there. Mm -hmm. And that, that begins to lead to the overthinking and why am I doing it? Yeah. And, how, how much am I going to have to put into it before I get anything back from it? And all those, that's where all those thoughts come from. And mm -hmm. it is hard to play the persona all the time and try yeah. and build that thing. But you kind of just have to do it, especially in the yeah. start, because, you know, if you don't, you're never going to get to where you want, wanted to. And also it's like that Jeff Bezos thing that we're on about where 
he had a well-paying job until, like, until, well, when he started Amazon and he left that behind because he had the, he just thought to himself that he didn't want to get to 65 and retire and regret never starting Amazon mm-hmm. because that's the one thing that will kill us fastest is having regrets yeah. that we never tried something when we could have just mm-hmm. opted in and done it. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's amazing. And that's kind of the way I felt with the business too. Talked about it for so long, procrastinated on it, you know, made excuses why I couldn't do it. Mm. And then eventually you actually do it. You learn way more starting something than you ever would scheming about it. Yeah. You know that way? Mm. Um, but just on, there's something in my head there about the therapy thing. Like I think everyone should be, should do therapy and should use either in person or online options. Have you heard of online options? Yeah, yeah. There's like online type things you can do. Mm. I just want to make that, if anyone's listening to this, do that. Like, it's, what's do called? an online version if you're too scared to go in person. Better help, that was it. Better, Better help's help, yeah. a good one that uh, they have therapy because you can access therapists from all over the world who are yeah. special specialised in whatever your problem may mm-hmm. be and sometimes it can be hard finding someone in person because you can go to 10 different psychologists before you get to the right one yeah, and yeah. that's 250 quid spent True. before well actually no probably about 2,000 pounds spent <laughs> before you yeah. get to the right person <laughs> and yeah it's which is a really important thing no finding the right person because I yeah. had a couple before I felt comfortable um with a woman and I was like you know I actually love you like you're making me feel amazing here yeah. because of like how you're actually helping me like deal go through stuff do you mm. know what I mean and another thing as well that book I feel like anyone who's feeling depressed or low needs to get that book have you ever heard of it The Lost Connections no Lost Connections by Johan Harry um, he's a class writer he goes to all the places that he writes about and interviews the scientists who've done studies mm. and long story short he says that depression is not an imbalance in your brain that idea of like you know the serotonin theory is complete bullshit not complete bullshit, but it's mostly the whole thing of like last 30 years, it was all depression equals serotonin imbalance, big pharma equals take this antidepressant to solve the problem. Mm. That's bullshit. And he breaks it down into seven causes of depression, which is disconnections. So it's like disconnection from meaningful work, disconnection from nature, disconnection from social connections, you know, all these different disconnections. And then the, the last part of the book is how do we then beat depression? It's to reconnect. Yeah. To reconnect all those those things. So mm. I think if anyone is struggling or wants to have a, a read about that, I think that's probably one of the best books. Mm. When I read that book, I was like, I want this to be like my Bible for mental health. Yeah. The coaching, if you, you know what I mean? Mm. Not that I want to be a mental health coach, but I can use PTN and and all these different like strategies and tools to help yeah. mental health. You know what I mean? And I think it's important to say as well, when we say meaningful work, that doesn't necessarily mean your paid job. Mm-hmm. If you have a hobby on the side mm-hmm. that is your passion, mm-hmm. that is what is meant by meaningful work. Yeah. Because a lot of people mistake the meaningful work for, oh, it has to be a yeah. paid job. Like it, you're working your passion. Yeah. Whatever, but... you, some people, like, you just don't have to do that. Like, mm-hmm. your passion could literally be going and playing footy with your mates on a Friday night. Exactly. And if that's your passion, make sure you stick to that for as long as you can. Yeah. And then when you can't do footy, play fucking walking football or something. Yeah, just yeah, making yeah. sure yeah. you're constantly involved in it. Because if you're not, that's, I feel, especially that one, having that that passion for something. As soon as you have no passion for anything, that's where you then begin to spiral and get lost yeah. in, in whatever it may be. Yeah, for sure. Passion's an interesting one. Like, you hear some people talking about, no, it's not the biggest thing or it is the biggest thing. But I feel like, like for me, it has been. It's like, what what are you actually interested in? What do you, what gives you value or what makes you feel like you're not wasting your time? Or, you know, it's like mm. trying to find those different things. And there's no one size fits all too. There's no one best program. There's no one best right regime that's going to help everyone. It's like trying to understand yourself and what makes you tick, and then trying to find the tools to to help those things. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to try and do. Like that mission statement, it would probably be to give people science-based tools to help themselves in a sentence. You know that way. So yeah. that can relate to the physical, the mental, emotional, social, spiritual. Yeah. Okay. And. It's something I've struggled with is finding a passion in something. And like, like I said to you, this is now a passion yeah. for me. It's just having long form conversation. Mm-hmm. But before that, like I thought that passion had to be through my day job. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It's a bonus if it is. But also at 24, I don't need to have found my passion through work yet. Mm-hmm. And I need to, I have to remind myself of that all the time that as much as I love research, I don't think it's a passion that I will be fully invested in forever yeah. and I'll probably move on to something else at some point in life mm-hmm. but that's fine and at that point I can then deal with the fact that I've got to find a new passion mm-hmm. 
But as long as I do have at least one thing on the side that is a passion, mm -hmm. it's okay to carry on doing what you're doing. Yeah. As long as it's not detrimental to, you know, mental health and yeah. you, you can afford to live and stuff like that. As yeah, long yeah. as you can get through the daily basics, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to know that right away. And I think that's the thing when you come out of uni, you expect to have your passion there and then. But mate, coming out of uni and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, do what, are you do doing? what are you doing now? Exactly. You're looking there in the big bad world, like what the fuck is happening? Uh, but no, I think that's a big thing I struggle with too, is trying to have everything figured out or you have to have your life planned out. Even like when we're 25, 24, you think you have to have a house by 30, you have to have a wife and you know, all these things, yeah. like all these expectations that come from society. But I think put that in the back burner and just follow Follow what you feel like will like light you up. Yeah, that's all I've ever done. Like, even through school, I'm trying to give like advice to younger ones and stuff about like you know picking A levels, GCSEs, and all I've ever done is just follow what I'm interested in. Hmm. Not trying to find out what's going to be the best like subject of this degree or you know it was just and what I done in GCSE and A level was like P art and moving images. At the time, I thought those were like such random choices, but yeah. now I look at what I'm doing with the like, content and. Like film my own content stuff and I wanna one of my things I want to do with the business and content is like simplify sound using art. Have you ever seen the guy called After School? No. After school he does these like whiteboard drawings, but he like goes into all these amazing topics around like basically all the brightest minds of the world, he simplifies their stuff into one image. Yeah. About a topic, say psychology or like you no know, social all these different things. And yes, yeah, so what's mad how those things can kinda of, like work out. I yeah. never ever plan to have those things kinda of, like work out, but I think if you just follow follow interests, follow passions, I think you'll you'll be on the right direction. Like Yeah. That I, I did a similar thing in school. I never really picked anything based on what would be good for a degree or whatever. I just did what I enjoyed at the yeah. time and may have not even enjoyed it when I picked it, but at that moment that's what I thought. And mm -hmm. you know, I could if I wanted a career in corporate work, I could have done that, but I know I knew from a probably like 12 or 13 that I would never be happy in a corporate job. I just can't see myself sitting in a corporate office, answering phones, doing all that for the rest of my life. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Right, no, it's, I feel like everyone, I don't even know, sorry, I got a bit of my brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what would you say there, sorry? What was the last point? Just, yeah, getting, the, like, from young age, knowing that, I would never be able to work in a corporate business. Yes, no, no, big time. As much as you can earn the money. Yeah. Well, just, have it, you ever worked in a corporate type job? Um, no. It right, just, I worked in one last year. It was more of like a leisure centre type type vibe. Um, mm. GLL. It's actually from London. Okay. Greenwich or Greenwich. Yeah. Greenwich Leisure Limited. Um, it's like a leisure centre type vibe, but it was like a corporate structure. It wasn't really a gym. It was more of a business. That mm. way. Um, yeah. Just didn't like the vibe at all. And, that's just something I always think about is how can we make the gym culture like better? I always think about this. Like imagine you created a gym structure like pure gym, right? Mm. You had them all over the, all over the world, all over UK, whatever, but you had the holistic input of it. So there was like meditation rooms. Yeah. There was like a reading room or something or like, you know, not just your typical machines, cardio and weights. Like that's just the physical. Yeah. But we're not just physical beings. Yeah. You know, we have the mental and the emotional and the spiritual. So could you like add that in the, a gym structure, I don't know. It's like a wee like dream. Like imagine you could create something like that. Yeah. Well, so my lab moved from Victoria Uni, where I'm at, to Monash mm -hmm. Uni, and at Monash they have what's called the Brain Park. Mm -hmm. The Brain Park. Oh, mate, Sick. this place is. In, I've never seen anything like it. They put millions and millions into this place, and it's essentially they do a lot of research into the use of psychedelics and like different drugs on. PTSD, depression, all these different things. But within there, they've got a yoga space where they, they, monitor, they monitor brainwaves and stuff like that as a, just through the use of yoga and seeing what things yeah, happen yeah. there. And I'm not fully aware of a lot of what's going on. I know they do a lot in the use of psilocybin, um, mm -hmm. ketamine for PTSD and something else. For MDMA in there, sure they're researching? Pretty sure. But... They also have a it's the crazy setup. So they have a, their own VR setup right. where the software was built for them specifically where they can use this system to, they'll put a gam, like say a gambling addict, for example, put the VR headset on, but they'll also monitor heart rate, brainwave patterns, 
and in VR, they'll get them to walk into a casino, sit down at a table, play blackjack, whatever they, they used to play, and monitor how their brain's affected by it what? and what it can do for people. And they, they would do it with people with um, severe phobias. So they would tell, tell them us about this one case where a woman had a phobia. I think it was a like scrunched up tissues <laughs> and they got her to pick up a tissue in VR and her heart rate through the roof. That's so random. Yeah. So a phobia of scrunched up tissues. Yeah. To be fair, mate, I fucking hate this. It literally <laughs> made me feel sick. That's so crazy. You would hate me then because all I see with hay fever in the summertime, I'm constantly blowing my nose. Oh, it's no. the worst crack ever. I hate it. Like, oh, I, oh, I make you feel sick. <laughs> But yeah, like there's places like that now that are getting built where, and even the, the whole facility itself, they things like because they know it's for mental health, this yeah. whole facility, things like they put this, the thought into the, the chairs in the waiting area. Mm-hmm. They built the like cocoons almost, heart cocoons, where you can spin round so no one can see you if you're not a very confident person, if you're very introverted. They've built this place so that introverted people or people suffering with mental health can feel comfortable in this environment. Yeah, yeah. They've got a little garden outside with a little pond so you can go outside and feel as if you're not in a research setting. And yeah. all this thought's gone into it and it's probably the most incredible facility I've ever seen. Wow. And incredible. Yeah, if you get over there, mate, I'll have to try yeah, and show you it again. Yeah, we'll, next it's... year, you'll be turning me around no. Melbourne. Mate, in, in that Honda CRV, you'll be about that. <laughs> Off-road, going to the beaches and oh, flying about. But I think, like, what like you're saying there about the research of psychedelics for mental health and stuff, like, there's a, a renaissance of this stuff happening. I feel like there is, like, a bit of a, like, a holistic renaissance. Yeah. This stuff's coming. Like, I feel like with people, with people like Wim Hof and these, like, athletes and famous people who are even, like, um, what do you call that guy from Man City? The blonde dude. I don't really know his name. Holland. Holland, yeah, yeah. Him, him talking about doing a, a mouth taping or mouth taping. Yeah. Like, doing that is unbelievable. Like, the fact that he's talking about that stuff is showing you, like, all these different things are kind of, like, more popular now. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, it's, it's unreal. Honestly, it's incredible. The stuff that they're doing to better the performance now just to get that extra, like, 0.1%. Yeah. And he's one of the best in the world. And now he's getting to a point where he can literally get even better from literally like yeah. just, just from mouth taping and yeah, stuff yeah. like that so it's like it's, it almost takes people like that to talk about it for people to take it seriously mm. you know what I mean yeah um, that's another one I've been kind of keeping close to, close to the heart <laughs> mouth taping it's like changed my whole life it's not something I've got into yet but I need to try it <laughs> people think I'm mental like honestly it's like, po- I'm, I think I'm going to sleep as a hostage <laughs> do you follow um, Mark Bell Mark Bell no so he used to be a powerlifter he's like he multiple records like i think he benched something like 400 kilo or something stupid like that and he used to be a really very very overweight and now he's lost all the weight he's got into running runs marathons and stuff like that but he would run with the mouth tape on i i was like i could not i i would never have the confidence to go out into yeah. mouth tape like that like, it just takes just take you to build up to it though yeah it you, would, you wouldn't go and lift 100 kilo first time it's kind yeah. of the same thing you have to build up i guess like the I don't know what it is. It is like a muscle. Yeah. I think with a nose, the more you use it, the more it opens. It's mm. kind of like that. It reacts to usage. Yeah. So the more you, it's kind of like anything. What's that? The law of reversibility. If you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Same thing with your nasal breathing. So, um, like I was telling you, I'm due to get a rhinoplasty, which is like that, um, surgery to your nose. So I can't wait. Like, I got that. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be like a whole different person. Oh, yeah. Like athleticism and all. I feel like fitness and stuff will be so much different. You know, yeah. when you have that full ability of your nose. So, so much wasted energy trying to breathe through something that doesn't fully work. Yeah. Like there's a chapter in that book, Oxygen Advantage, that uh, it says mouths are for eating and noses are for breathing. Right, like, yeah. It's pretty cool. Like a little like, yeah. sentence. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's wild. But yeah, I think... I don't know. With, with that, the mouth taping, I think it's got its purpose, but say for myself, where I don't really mouth breathe anyway, yeah, yeah. don't really need it. That's it. And a, a lot of the problem is with these products is they, they're so commercialized that people think that to be better at the X, yeah. you have to have that one yeah. thing. It's like with the bare, the barefoot movement is a good one. Mm-hmm. With, you know, to be, have stronger feet, you need Vivo barefoots. Mm-hmm. No, you can go on Amazon and buy a pair for 20 quid that mm-hmm. are not Vivo barefoot mm-hmm. and they do the exact same job. 
I've had the same pair of barefoot shoes for three years. Serious? Oh, the cheap, cheap ones. 20 quid off Amazon. See, I'm a mug then. I've been buying people's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my second pair of people's. Oh, so I'm, uh, I'm in that camp then. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I do want a pair because they do look nice. Yeah, they are classy. I, I just use mine for going on walks. And, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go out to, like, like a bar in America. Like a hike. A yeah. hike or a run. It's unbelievable. I said, because uh, I had um, my osteo on before I came back. We were talking about the you know barefoot training and yeah. things like that and i hiked up snowden in my barefoot shoes and no it felt really comfortable oh, but really? that took months and months of building to yeah. that before i could even feel comfortable doing it because <laughs> at the start walking was weird because you would feel every little mm-hmm. pebble rock yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it may be under your feet and you realize how, how weak your feet are yeah this is a bit crazy mm. that's kind of the whole point the, the typical shoes have almost reduced the ability of our foot to do this function yeah that's been made to do and it's like there's you follow the foot collective yeah. on instagram so they put the post up where they cut the bottom of kids shoes and it shows what it's how it's molding a kid's feet yeah because kids feet can splay like a hand yeah, it should be splayed like a hand, yeah but and being forced into this unnatural. yeah and it's like the everyone's now wearing like the you know the like adidas gazelles and yeah. the, the all the originals like the sambas i can't put them on my feet now no. because it's my really tight. just way too narrow mm-hmm. and because my like my toes are so spread out now yeah. because I spent so long walking barefoot that shoes like that just don't yeah. work for me anymore. Did you ever see the Foot Collective post about high heels? Oh high my God. Your backs like your calf and your ankle and yeah. foot bones and stuff Your like Achilles that. as well. Did, I think it's people who wear high heels for work are at much higher risk of an Achilles rupture. Really? Because it's constantly shortened? Yeah, that's constantly really? in a shortened position. So when, if you say you play football and you, you, know, you start to sprint, Think of the elongated position it can get into during a sprint, or if you go for a header and you land in that elongated position, yeah. it's not used to being there. True. It's the same as you know if you rupture your quad, but you don't train full range quad. You, mm-hmm. It's probably likely yeah, it's yeah. that kind of thing. That's actually a good point. That's, a, that's an interesting one actually. Like training specific muscles through their training range, something I haven't really done an awful lot of. Like I, I my kind of philosophy would be more just movement patterns. Yeah. But I'm starting to move more towards like specifics around things like quads, hamstrings, like soleus. Mm. You know, different types of muscles, and you should you should be training them within the overall program as well. Like yeah. there is certain things you should be kind of focusing on directly. It's a huge one for me. I had this conversation with the osteo who I had on. We were talking about the importance of, like, I think triple tri- triple flexion is more important than triple extension training because we spend long, so long training triple extension mm-hmm. that triple flexion becomes so neglected. Right, where the hip flexors are really the piss week mm-hmm. tib anterior never gets trained mm-hmm. Na- name it most you could probably name 99% of athletes they do not train the tib anterior yeah. in any which way yeah. and a lot probably less now because it's become more common a lot train don't train hip flexors and yeah. it's things like that where we need to spend more focus on that phase of the run than we do the triple extension phase because mm-hmm. You get that through hand cleans, whatever. Yeah, know, most movements. Apart from the knees over toes, guy, he's kind of popularized that whole yeah hip anterior and like you know knees over toes. I, I think I, I kind of like I, I love that exercise, but like I like the guy Robbie Strength. He talks about like this isn't a training philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just it's all it is. Yeah, it's all we all we do. Like mm. the one thing I don't like about the knees over toes guy is the excessive amount of dropping from fucking ladders. And, right, or like. I get he's showing that he's gotten to this position, but also no one needs to do that. Yeah. No one needs to jump from a fucking ladder and go straight down into a into a sissy squat yeah. and come back up. <laughs> like it's just unnecessary. Yeah, that's almost like clickbait, isn't it? Yeah. To show what what you can do with these things. That's mm. pretty annoying about Instagram. It's that you never just see you always see the flashy stuff. Yeah. Things that get your attention, not the actual like you know, the basic needs you should be doing. You miss out on a lot of quality content because you're just watching what someone's doing. True. Like half the time you're actually listening to a guy like, jumping down from a ladder. Let's be serious. Like of the people you know who are the most intelligent, the most advanced practitioners, best coaches, like are they on are they on Instagram? Like not a lot of them are. No. Like some of the people I've learned about the most like aren't really making that much content because they're coaching or they're like, you know Yeah. It's almost like the people who are making the most content probably aren't coaching the most. Yeah. It's kinda of like a paradox that way. Yeah, they, I, because they are putting so much into that personal experience with someone that they don't because that's the thing that's probably one of the major issues with coaching now is you do have to spend time filming clients for your Instagram but that then takes away from that personal experience with them yeah and when I was still coaching it was something I never I could never do because I just felt it was an invasion of 
that client even even if they turn around and say yes it's fine to post it i just still think it's some people don't have the confidence to say no mm-hmm. please don't use that yeah. and that yeah it, for me it was just a bit when people are doing that with clients online i just find it hard to watch it because they're just going into train and yeah. better themselves not be critiqued online yeah yeah 100% receive that fe- that negative yeah. feedback especially from- if you're in that beginner stage where you are anxious and you're self-conscious and you're, you're not really confident in your ability yeah. so I think it's probably a good shot to be in there yeah, I, I would agree it's definitely like it's a tough one especially when you like as you said new to the gym and then yeah. all of a sudden the PT's got the phone in your face yeah. <laughs> like pure POV shot like. yeah <laughs> not going to want to come back in two weeks are you like no, no exactly like <laughs> but no uh we're heading there. It's close to two o'clock. Here. Oh, it's two o'clock. Do you need to shoot now? Sweet. Do you want to wrap it up now then? Yeah. Sweet. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Kieran. Really amazing guy. Uh, really good friend of mine. And, you know, again, wish him all the best out in Melbourne. He's going to absolutely smash it. And I can't wait to go out and see him in October. And, yeah, going to be an amazing time for him. And I can't wait to see what he does with himself while he's out there. Um, so yeah go check out all his links down in the description below make sure you keep up to date with what he's doing especially down in melbourne and um yeah i will see you next week for another episode cheers